Hello everyone, welcome back to Haunted Picture Palace, a podcast, I know, jolly, very jolly hockey sticks today, isn't it? A podcast where two attractive young people with soothing voices talk about horror films. I'm Ben, I'm one of those people. This is Amelia. I'm Amelia, I'm standing in for one of those people. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> and today we're talking about Pete Walker's 1972 effort, The Flesh and Blood Show, which... I hate. Amelia hates. <laughs> and like, and you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm Mark Anthony here. Like I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. You know, this is, I'm not claiming that this is any good. Uh, my contention is simply that there are some interesting things to talk about with it. Uh, and so that's what I'm going to attempt to do for the next hour or so. <laughs> Content warning before we begin. So many warnings. So many warnings. Mm -hmm. Attempted suicide. Attempted assault. Attempted sexual assault. Boobs. Death. <laughs> Anything else? Murder, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's plenty, isn't it? That's That'll do. To be getting on with. That'll do. Yeah. Polite gore because it's terrible. <laughs> the poster. Some really exciting, you know, exactly. like a, a madman with a guillotine. That doesn't happen in the it film. It absolutely doesn't happen in the film. I mentioned to a friend of mine the film we were going to be covering. And they looked up the cover and said, this looks amazing. Why are you bitching? Yeah. They've not seen it, have They've they? They've not seen it. I mean, <laughs> normally at this stage in the podcast, I say, yeah. you know, go and watch the film. Like, I don't hate it as much as you do. I, I value life. Yeah. You know, I think there are things to enjoy in it, but, but like, God, I mean, it's terrible. It is, it's terrible. It's, it's, bad, it's a bad film. So with, <laughs> See you that, next week. with that in mind, mm -hmm. proceed at your own risk. Um, I got excited in the opening credits because there was very red blood. And to me, very red blood is Argento because I'm a film snob <laughs> of bad horror. Well, it's there. You see, in a lot of Italian uh, horror films, you know, there's sort of, there's very often... Red blood and boobs. Red blood, boobs, and a plot that doesn't really make very much sense. But yeah, and it's still somehow better than this absolute trash. <laughs> works. <laughs> um, right. Without further ado, let's let's crack on, shall we? <coughs> Here's my favourite thing about the film. Oh yeah. Great typeface in the opening credits. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. Yep. I've said we have not a very grotty 16mm shot of a grotty English pier setting the scene, and then a lot of red paint runs down a wooden pillar. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair, yep. And in retrospect, watching it again for this, because I've seen this multiple times, oh. uh, um, I realised that what we're seeing in the opening scene here is the events during the war um, uh. that are sort of referred to at the denouement. Yes. Uh, later on. Um, but yes, filmed on location in a grotty English pier somewhere on the south coast, I think. And yes, obviously that is one of the crew, probably like the second assistant director, in a rowboat pointing a little camera at the, at the pier on a sort of very cloudy day, which is why the opening footage of the pier is sort of wobbling around yes. all over the place. I don't think that's like a stylistic effect. I think that's that they didn't have a steady cam because they weren't invented yet. Mm -hmm. And it was they were in a little boat. <laughs> <laughs> if someone comes to the door in the middle of the night and you're in bed, don't bother to get dressed. 
I went for I always sleep topless with my pals and open my door naked. Yeah. Yes. Lesbians? Question mark. Oh, I mean. Kind of bisexual. Bisexual. Yeah, I mean they don't. They, they they appear to be interested in men later on. I think both of them do. Yes. You know, and they're just a couple of resting actresses. So maybe they're just huddling together for warmth. But then you would put some clothes on if you were doing that, wouldn't you? John comes to the door. Yes, and it's very exciting. He's got like a terrible knife wound or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Stabbed. Yes. And roll about and and oh what a world and then he's fine because this is an awful film. Um he was joking, but here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Some of the costumes in this, none of them are extraordinary. They're interesting from a historical perspective if you're into historical fashion because sure. they are a timepiece. They are definitely of the 70s very beautifully. Um very much early 70s as well. No one's quite in the long hair brigade proper. You know, it's it's Yeah. We're really in that bit and the girls are dressed as a kind of hybrid of the 60s and what the 70s would eventually become. So they're really right on the precipice. But kimonos are forever apparently <laughs> because this kimono mm-hmm. has actual holes in it visible as soon as she puts it on in the light. <laughs> Holes all over it. Like like intentional ones? Or I like... genuinely couldn't tell. Right. It looked like it had ripped at the armpit several try-on-agos. Right. Tries-on-ago. Yes, tries-on-ago. Yeah, but... <laughs> tries-on-ago is, of course, the name of the boutique on the King's Road in Chelsea where you'd get them from. Yeah, of course. But I was surprised to see it and then see more of her through it. I, I wasn't <laughs> sure where they were going with that, but it was an odd thing. It is an odd, yeah. I mean, it's 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 quite low budget. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so it turns out that um, what's his name? I've just written John. Just a prick they know. John. John. Thank you. <laughs> John the prick they know. Turns out that yes, John has not been murdered, but he thinks it's funny to knock on people's doors in the middle of the night and um, and pretend to yeah. be murdered. Well, yeah. you know, my response to having strangers near me in the night that I don't understand why they're there. I'm quite violent. Yes, And I true. think he would have ended up actually genuinely hurt. Yeah. And then who would be laughing? John Furlow. It's too soon for a name like that. Thank you. John Furlow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it's a it's a horror movie convention of the, like there's a, there's a scare immediately and then you go, oh no, it was not real. Can you hear this? And then... Sipping your tea there. Do you know what that is? What's that? Exposition coffee. <laughs> Just in. Delicious exposition coffee. Yes, because they're quite happy to chat with this idiot who's woken them up. And, yeah. Um, and that yeah, and then she, she suddenly gets shy after he turns out he's not been not been murdered, um, and quite quite angry at him, which is fair enough. But yeah. yes, by coincidence, they're all involved in the flesh and blood show in an abandoned pier. And they need to tell each other that because they've all forgotten. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was important to come round it. It's because it's supposed to be like what three in the morning or yeah. something here. Is this the right? Yes. And uh, and then you know next morning, I think pretty much after this scene, we cut and they're just getting off the train, aren't they? It's funny because this is opening moments. Yeah. And I've already written. Ugh, films about films are so hit and miss. So I was already. They were losing me at. Here's the exposition. Yes, you get that. Oh, because we also cut to one of our other main characters, right? Yes, I was going to say, hot queer woman in a polka dot... Oh, in a polka dot tie and black shirt. Fashion goals, really nice. <laughs> really nice. She looks incredible. There's some Lucy and Yak goodness. There's some There's some all sorts going on. Uh, dungarees. 
how can 60s oh yes how can this is a good question thanks Amelia <laughs> how can 60s film be so beautiful and 80s film quality looks super cool but 70s just looks disgusting consistently every time it looks dirty like they haven't washed anything I don't mean the people I mean yeah. the, the the camera quality the lighting everything has a very particular yuck to it yeah I mean I, I think the answer is this is poorly made <laughs> I guess, but it's not like, just this, is it? Like, no, it's but I mean, like, you know, Star Wars was made in the 70s, but of course on somewhat of a larger budget. Mm. Um, but I think it's probably shot on 16mm and not lit well enough. Yeah. I think is is the answer. Because uh, <laughs> it was, thinking about it more, like low budget films in the, in the 60s, early 60s, mid 60s, were made in black and white. As a matter of course, but by the time you get into like the late sixties, late seventies, everything's made in color, even the sort of real bargain basement thing. Yeah, and I think this might be some bargain basement color work. Fair enough. That is a guess. That's not uh, you know. I, I, there, bizarrely, there is a book about not this film particular, but this director. It's wow. Called Pete Walker. I'm going to talk about his career profile a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. But um, it is out of print and very expensive, and I didn't fancy paying the. Seventy-five pounds. Um, it would cost me absolutely <laughs> not. What are we meant to be seeing in the gloom? But he's. Um, you mentioned films about films because we have that scene with the lead actress who's in a film, but is also now signed on to this flesh and blood show. And yes, there's a couple of bits of it that um, Pete Walker, the director, seems to sort of drip drip contempt for the motion picture industry mm-hmm. and his audience. <laughs> I'll come back to that. Come back to that later. But yes, we're introduced to Julia Dawson. She is the kind of ingenue, up and coming talent, absolute prodigy of acting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, false eyelashes, I think, is what I remembered of her. Yes. Yeah, I think she has some nice boots at some point. <laughs> with a T. <laughs> boots with a T. Um, yes, sorry, boots. She's the only one who has a body double, I believe. For the oh, really? Shows. Interesting. Yeah. They do a really interesting line. Oh, not interesting. What do I mean by that? They do a really <laughs> obvious line in character description via the medium of outerwear in this film. Oh, yeah. You get immediately who everybody is and what they're like from their coats. I suppose, yes. Again and again. Everybody right. that turns up is wearing a coat that is fit for their character. <laughs> Did you notice? I didn't notice. Yeah. Uh, luckily, we get boobs right off the bat. We've already had naked lesbians. Yeah, well, just some naked women. We've already be. had some naked women. Yeah, that's not. That's We've not already had some naked people. Yeah. Let's have some tits in the theatre now. Oh yes, because we're going. We're in the theatre mm-hmm. and it's pulled, there's no electricity, so there's no lights. You can't see anything. This is becoming. Yep. This is a theme, and then. The camera pans over the stalls. Yep. And there's a couple of dead bodies draped there, one of whom is not wearing a top. Yep. Yeah. Uh, oh no, a couple of dead bodies in the stalls. But it's another fake out, and they were only acting, darling, slash asleep. They were asleep. There's this interesting bit where... The thing is, they make it very clear it's very cold. Uh-huh. Uh, everybody does, because it's on a... It's like underwater, underground well, water, you know, they're on a yes, pier. Yes, exactly, they're over the water. It's cold. And yeah. it's drafty and it's old. Yeah. I mean, I know you've never had breasts. 
right? <laughs> but even the least sensitive breasts among us, you've had a chest before. Yes, yeah. You'd know if your top was open. Yeah, you'd know seem... if you had curled in a kind of reversed crab position. It looks, from it looks yoga. the least comfortable sleeping position ever. You know, I mean, obviously it's contrived because it looks like they've been murdered, but you just don't fall asleep like that, nope. do you? No. And she's so like, oh goodness, and covers her breasts. Yeah. And it's a lovely moment of <laughs> modesty and coquettishness. But yes, because they're all they're all acting in this dramatic review, and they've got no scripts. Yeah. They're just going to improvise it. They're going to all live. They're going to sleep, live and sleep and work in the abandoned pier, so that if they have like a great idea in the middle of the night, they can all just get up and improvise it and start working. Do you know the better film I wrote? What did I tell you? No. With that concept in mind, I wrote a better film. Mm-hmm. It might already exist because it's a really good film idea. <laughs> but the better film is that they're all improvising a play. They've been told there's no real rules and one of them is an absolute psychopath. And one by one, on stage, kills the others, but the others all think it's a part of the play. And you'll get one person, probably your final girl, who's like starting to cotton on that this guy's really killing people but has to play along because he's lost his mind in the play and he thinks that this is exactly what's required. Right, yeah, he doesn't realise he's doing bad. Yeah. That does sound better than this. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That's not what we're going to (laughs) get. If you've got some money out there, we could make that film. We could help you make it. Um, the um, I should mention as well that as well as the topless lady asleep, the other fella there is Robin Asquith, who yes. um, is better known to connoisseurs of grotty 70s cinema mm-hmm. as the star of the Confessions films, the uh, late 70s sex comedies that made pots of money and were even worse films than these oh yeah yeah but uh, an icon of mucky 70s cinema there wow <laughs> uh, playing a sympathetic role i think you know like eh. yeah you know he's is not... he the one that looked like the drummer from the monkeys he has he's the one with he has like a, an extraordinary fish vest at some point like a vest with like a sparkly fish on it it's green with yes it is him yeah yeah <clears throat> no davy <laughs> jones yeah Anyway, go on. Yeah, that's, that was all. That was him. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. We have this interesting flash to... So we're all rowing out. We're like, oh, we're all in this together. Let's have a bash at something. And it's what it is, it's a great sort of... It's a very late 60s idea of like, oh, we're not going to have a script, man. Yeah, That's yeah. for squares. It's going to be a happening. It's going to be hip and cool. Yeah. But it's a couple of years too late, which is why it's sort of very low rent. And, and a, lame. And lame. And at the, end of a, at the end of a pier, at the end of a sort of broken down pier, like the... Um, yeah. It's British, British variety in decline. Yeah. Writ large, if you'd like. Well, I put it was that the the whole bit on stage has strong vibes of the anti-marijuana PSAs of the late 60s. Sure. Um, so similar thing, which is where they're... It's basically those PSAs kind of read like... Uh, or were projected... Well, basically what I mean by the PSAs about anti-marijuana is the girls in pointy bras dancing aggressively in the faces of the police that have come to bust them up for having marijuana for the first time. Because uh, they definitely just turned into sex pest maniacs that just wanted to like make bad decisions and smoke weed all their life. It's a well-known side effect of Mary yeah. Jane, isn't it? Yes, Mary Joanna, absolutely. Indeed. The devil's lettuce. <laughs> 
ganja. You're right. Yeah. Oh, you were plain clothes police, but have you been one this whole time? And because of that, it's not trendy. The the things they were using to show it, because it was just through the lens of squares, means that these things that they thought people were doing, they might have been doing when they first tried weed back in, like, you know. (laughs) 1966. Exactly. Anyway. Um, so there's all that going on. I really like Mike. Who plays Mike, the director? It's Ray Brooks. I, I like think him. His name's Ray Brooks. Why would we know him? He's the narrator of Mr. Ben. Ah. <laughs> ah, but yes, Mike's very natural. He's the only one that's actually acting throughout the whole film. Yeah. Um, even if the camera's not on him, if he's in the background, he's still acting. You know, if he's not the lead in the scene yes you pointed out a couple of good things he does which is is nice really nice things you know like um a kind of he'll laugh to himself about things or when he walks into the room in one scene he's the only one that makes it look like it's cold yeah <laughs> yeah and he's, it's, the only one he's bothered to protect you exactly know, so he's thought about his character and to be fair most of these young people don't really have characters that's no. a sort of um interchangeable yeah none of them have apart oh uh, maybe julia dawson she tries yeah yeah um here we go so we're into gratuitous nudity and queerness that doesn't further the plot in any way a kind of aggressively seductive lesbian moment yeah for no reason and it never gets mentioned again yeah well yeah my note is just the sex scenes are supremely unerotic yeah um uh, pete walker who directed this Later in the seventies, made House of Whipcord and Frightmare, um, <laughs> and House of Mortal Sin, which are sort of certainly more celebrated, right, and studied, and I mean better films than this, but like not good films, but again sort of important in the study of like the British horror film. In yeah. Um, and he started his career making pornography. Mm-hmm then progressed to like making quote-unquote real films that were yeah. still quite sort of porn-adjacent, if that yeah. makes sense. A Cool It Carol from two years previously was a sort of proto-sex comedy. And then he made that... So they, this is sort of halfway... This is on his journey from smut merchant <laughs> to exploitation horror filmmaker. Right. Obviously, no bones about what these scenes are here for, it's to titillate. But you would expect him to be better at it, <laughs> given that this is also a horror film, you know? Like, I realise that there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of gratuitous nudity here, but there is also, like, a plot and some things going on. And I have it, a terrible question. Go on. Was there a script, or was it meta? There is certainly an element at which, like, the... There's no element, there's no effort to like tie their show together as a coherent no. theatrical thing. So there is certainly an element in which like the show that they're putting on is this one yeah. that we're watching. Yeah. So the conceit is that like that yeah, the film is the production that they're making. Yeah. But I mean there there was, you know, there <laughs> you can't you can't make films like that. You can't get your films made and get your actors in. There was somebody did write this and sign off on it. I guess. Um, I put, wow, I hope people in the 70s had better sex than those two just did. That was Guy and Jane. Or, yeah, probably John and Jane. This film feels like it was just a way for some men that they liked to touch women that wouldn't have touched them normally. Fair enough. Discuss. (laughs) It's all fairly front-loaded, pun not intended. Mm. Um, So, yes, curiously, we have cut 
earlier when they were all like exploring the theatre and finding places to sleep, we did cut to a, a strange shot of a sort of s- s- mysterious black gloved figure yes. in the stalls watching them. But there's been nothing apart from that opening credits scene, as they with the red paint running down mm-hmm. the leg of the. There's been no sort of outright horror things. We've had two fake outs in the first sort of fifteen minutes, yeah. where someone was stabbed horribly, but actually he was just being a jerk and then two people who were murdered but they're just sort of fallen asleep in very unlikely so there's yeah. been no the horror element hasn't really been introduced yet but we have had plenty of nudity and now we're going to put jeans on with no pants which just makes me feel uncomfortable for everyone <laughs> well, it's because we've heard a strange noise in the middle of the night we well, have we a, a torturous real, scream horrible cliche um, Strong Rupert Grimp vibes from the fish vest man, by the way. The fish vest man. Um, with a torch. Uh, shivery breath and a gloved man, yeah. Yep. Uh, touching the face of Angela, who was the one with her boobs out. Yep, although it, it did take us some time to sort of to disentangle which character was which at this point. Yeah, because she's blonde and blue eyed, and, and in this film all they just, all look the same. Yeah, we've, all just, we've just met them all, none of them have done anything, anything yeah. interesting. I don't know why I put lol littera. They must have thrown something away they shouldn't have. Well, because they go, they're looking under the stage. I think maybe the noise came from under the stage, and of course yes. it's full of uh, prerequisite horror props: heads, a guillotine, etc. Yes, I put. Um... Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Women's and their dumb dumb instincts. Women's <laughs> and their endless bitchings. Why is John being so weird, you know? <laughs> John is discount Tim Curry. Fight me. Ah, right. Yeah? Yeah, fair enough. I mean, that feels harsh on Tim Curry. It is, yeah. <laughs> so there's this whole very dark, very difficult to watch scene. And I don't mean that in the normal horror way. I mean, like, it's very poorly lit and hard to make out what's happening. But essentially, poor Mike, the director, finds this headless body yep. and the head separately john's been diddling about with the guillotine so he puts two and two together and very calmly and quietly goes to contact the police which is like the first time anyone's ever done that in a horror film this is nice exactly i wanted to talk about this yeah it, it is it's pleasing to note somebody especially mike who's a character who is as we said somebody that does seem to actually try mm-hmm. and has you know and i can most of, these, most of the cast, I can't really tell you much about them, but him, I can tell you what kind of man he is, or at least what, what sort of fellow he seems to be. You know, yeah. he's, he's he's still he's not much older than the rest of the cast, but he seems to have some sense of responsibility. Yeah, he seems to have some kind of a a plan. There is he does reference a few times that he drives them hard, even though we never get any sense of the show that they're making. No, he doesn't also seem to drive them hard at all. No, but a few times in the in yeah. the plot, you know, a few times in dialogue rather. His worries that he's working his cast too hard. Yeah. So like, so that tells you that he is a hard worker and he's serious about getting the thing done, but he's also like compassionate and all these things. Yep. Which makes you think that like, well, it makes me think anyway that like, yes, he would go to the cops <laughs> if yeah, he found so. one of his actresses decapitated. Um, and yes, yeah. and again, too often a horror film, especially a crappy one of this caliber. Yeah will just throw things like that out of the window because you can't <laughs> you can't have the murderer arrested now because we're only half an hour into the film and nothing's happened yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um 
Which is nice, but yes, I said we had trouble figuring out who we'd murdered and who Angela was because none of these people have characters to any extent. Yep. <laughs> Losing the police support early is actually one of those tropes, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we saw it in Monster House, I think. Oh, yes. Mm. Yeah. But it's obviously taken the mick out of something bigger than Monster House and this film. <laughs> yeah, but there's a reason that these things. That's what I'm turn saying. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everyone in the every female in this film, female, every woman in this film somehow looks a bit like Lucy Lawless. Am I okay? That's on you, that one. I'm right. <laughs> I'm right. Watch it and tell me I'm wrong. I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> no, actually, you're forbidden. Uh... <laughs> I've just said it really saves money on sets, costumes, and things if you just spend your entire film squinting into the gloom. Because I think they yes. lead, the, lead the coppers down underneath the... And it goes pitch black. And the thing is, right, clearly, and you imagine at script, um, yeah. when they were scripting it, you'd say, right, so we've had the scene anyway where he discovers the head on the shelf yeah. of um, Linda or Lucille or whoever it was. Yeah. Angela. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and we don't really get to see her like body... Her decapitated body, or yeah, you know. No, well, we kind of do. We see but, her back. Yeah. And then the actual actress and then, and <laughs> hiding exactly, her head. Yes, exactly. Head. And then, and then, so obviously, it's well, say obviously, it seems obvious to me. But now we're supposed to have the scene where the cops come down and they turn the lights on and they go, "Look, officer, look!" It's well, you know, or, or you know, maybe you have a bit where he sort of yeah. turns to the turns to camera and briefs us basically, but the other characters there <sighs> and say, "Like, look, it's really horrible." You don't like. Are you sure you want me to show you this? It's, yeah. it's disgusting. And then you turn the lights on, and then it's there's no trace. It is. A, it's yeah. a figure, and we've seen it before in like semi darkness, yep. and now we see it in full light, and it's just a prop. Yeah. Right? But they don't bother with any of that. <laughs> I genuinely saw that scene. That was that was in the film. Well, yeah, they do. Yeah, but they don't do it very well. Oh no, 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 no! It no, should no. be well lit, so right, that, so I see, that I it's obviously different. Yes. You know? but, yeah. But again, you're squinting into the gloom again, and they go, "Oh, look, sir, it's a, it's yep. made of plaster." Uh, but we should be able to see. You don't. You shouldn't have to put that in the dialogue. It should be obvious to us, the audience. You should just see it yeah, through the that's medium of cinema. I said, "Oh right, Julia Dawson has had her appendix out, but you said she had a body double, so her body double." has had her appendix out and <laughs> I said it's nice to see textured skin on a very realistic body though and again <laughs> none of this is Julia Dawson we well, find out I assume that she has a body done for two reasons one is that she was like a real actor and went on to be a children's tv presenter yep and the other that hers is the only bit of nudity where we don't we only see like disembodied boobs and bum rather than Ah, like okay. a shot with her face in it. Yes. Well, here's the thing. There's a lot of examination of that body and a lot of things like that. And mm-hmm. it's um, when you know who's looking, that's not so great. That's true. Yep. Yeah, that's a good point. Spoilers if you haven't seen this film. I'm not going to spoil it yet, but that was a mega one. So. Yes. Point. Yeah, it's gross, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ew, women's having feelings and not knowing the phrase deja vu. <laughs> I really enjoy uh, Mike's little like Fisher Price psychology um, moments though, where he like explains things. <laughs> That'll come Course in handy you later. Of course you do. Narrating the film. Oh, oh yeah, narrating the film we just saw to kill some time. Yes. That's also good. Yeah. <laughs> what I think should be the title. 
if you want it. Go on. Sorry, love, I didn't think it was possible to disgust you. <laughs> that is good. I mean, I, I favoured excrement! Yeah, yeah. But they're both strong. Yep. Wait, we don't get to meet the dog. So they're in a cafe up the road. Yeah, and this is notable because it's actually sort of reasonably well lit. It is. Like, oh, look, they do know how we to do it. Yeah, we can see everyone. They're in a grotty little cafe and it's beautiful. And I would like to go to somewhere like that. I quite like those old strange out-of-season seaside places. I've lived by the sea a few times. Yeah. And it's nice to be local and have it to yourself half the year. Or a third of the year these days. But yes, they meet that man, Major Bill. Yes, a nice old man. Yes, a nice old, sort of intrusive, but very sweet man with a very, very nice dog. Big Labrador. Or a Golden Retriever, I think. Yep. And... Hang on, what was, where have I put that? I don't know. Ah, I said, yes, no, we did meet the dog, it's just black. And so is everything. <laughs> I like Major Bell and Jenny. Jenny's the dog, there you go. Yes. Yes, I can't. I should have written down the actor's name who plays Major Bell because he is another man who actually can act, a stage veteran. Do you want a uh, fascinating fact while you look? Please. When women are mean to other women, we get better lighting immediately. Oh. Yep, that's what I've learned from this film. That's we are good. That's suddenly good. actually lit. <laughs> we get facial features and everything. Blimey. I know. Mm. They're still there at the cafe because they found a note from Angela yes. saying, sorry, I didn't want to be in your production. I'm going home. So yep. everyone says, oh, well, let's not worry about it. I guess that's fine. Look at that post. Yeah, it's amazing. It's cracking, isn't it? Absolutely doesn't, nothing doesn't to do with happen. the film. Doesn't happen. Patrick Barr, but he doesn't appear to be... In the cast. Great to do in here. But yes, Patrick Barr is the name of the man playing Major Bell. And he, is a, he was a veteran character actor of dozens and dozens of appearances in all sorts of things yeah. and is much better than the material he's given but you know he, he can act yeah next day sarah hales arrives she's the hot goth that was missing from this film um <laughs> yeah. almost every character in this film is a nightmare person i've put oh yeah that's important isn't it it's all very phantom of the opera frankly. i suppose i mean yeah deeply yeah <laughs> deeply and to the point of where they could sue <laughs> um do you not think the one we watched with the hairy face yeah i suppose yeah i mean i hadn't it wasn't a wasn't a, a comparison that sprung to mind wow but i do see what you mean a theater with a man no i know yes haunted by yes yeah, <laughs> yeah. no I, yeah i'll take your point well, also um, all the stuff with like moving the lights around and yes, yes, watching women in the doorways and yeah, no, yeah. you're absolutely right. I just hadn't seen it. So the one that looks the most like Xena, Warrior Princess, mm -hmm. in a blonde wig. Because you said they all look like her. Just yeah, to be but clear. she, this one looks the most like her. Mm -hmm. Is that uh, is that Carol? I can't remember. They're all the same. Yeah. The one who goes for a walk on her own. So yeah, Carol. Yes, Carol Edwards. She. Goes for a grumpy walk on her own because she got weirdly jealous of goth chick yep. and her boy. Her boy. Her boy that she met like the day before. Oh, no, it's not goth chick. Sorry. It's upon the arrival of Julia Dawson. Yes, the real star. Yes. So, I mean, in the in the world of the film, the real yes. star. So she wanders off effing and jeffing to herself and is coughed upon by a very un-Covid-friendly man. <laughs> uh, it's actually really frightening. 
It's quite unpleasant, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was awful. Yeah. And then he tries to sexually assault her, so that's worse. Yeah, we assume, but then he also seems to be holding a knife, so maybe he's going to do a murder as well. Why not both? Why yeah. not both? Yeah. I assume, well, I'm not going to go into details, but that's... Yeah, there's reasons for that. Um, not feeling too great about this one, to be honest, is what I put about the film. <laughs> However, let's lighten the mood a little bit. She's totally fine by the end of that, by the way. Well, she's shaken up a little bit. Yeah, but she is assisted, you know, like mm-hmm. people come to her rescue. She is fine. Oh, no, that's not true, is it? Yes, yes, she is assisted by them. They come running up the pier. Um, Robin Asquith and somebody else. Okay, good. Rescue her. Okay, good. Um, Julia Davidson is here, as mm-hmm. we've said. She's dressed incredibly well. Uh, gold medallion, sage jumper and cream polo neck. Yes, absolutely. That's very nice. Very yeah. on trend now, in fact. <laughs> oh, yes, before she gets attacked by a tramp. There's a lot of shots of her wandering around in the dark. Yeah. Which are just there to fill time, I assume. Well, I thought it might be a thing that that person was into that directed it. A lot of this film screams a fetish that you don't get to put out in the open. Right. Uh, frankly. And several of them. And that's what part of the reason I found it so disturbing. Fair enough. Because it just feels... That's what I meant when I said this is a chance for men to touch women that wouldn't normally let them right. touch them. Yeah. Because... And also, I included that it's men that this per- this director is friends with get to touch uh-huh. women they would never never get to touch. It just feels grimy and gross. It is grimy. Yeah, yeah. sure. Guess how I wouldn't want to be introduced. Go on. As a sad and lonely man. <laughs> wow. Come on over. So they all freak out and they're spending some time at the B&B run by, I think, the auntie of the hot goth. Yep, that's right. Um, again, none of them appear to have ever been in like a cafe before. Nope. Or <laughs> nope. Any kind of social interaction. Many yeah. of them don't actually know how to wear a dressing gown effectively. Yeah. It's a it's an oddly nice detail that they appreciate plumbing because they probably don't have any in the yeah in the pier. Golf hockey croquet. They play some of that in the garden. Oh, yeah. I love a bit of golf hockey croquet. Yes, this is a, a really weird scene of them just sort of awkwardly larking yep. around on location yep. outside. Yeah, it is not not at all clear what they're supposed to be doing. It's like they're all it's like they're all like kids and they're all playing like as if they're all like 12. And it's like, OK, we've had a fun run around the garden. Now it's time to go. Yeah. We've got to go home now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very, very strange. Do you think they were supposed to be playing teens and we've got confused again? Could, well... That's a lot of banging for teens. Yeah, well, I, I, it is a reasonably young cast. I've certainly seen like older people playing your actual teenagers. I guess. But I mean, they're all working actors, so they've all at least left school. I think they're all supposed to be around about the age that they are in their early 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, Sarah, I think she was about 19, 20. I mean, the actress mm-hmm. playing her. Candice Glendinning. Great name. Good name, isn't it? Is that it? the hot goth? Yeah, the hot goth. How old was she? I think she was about 19 or oh, 20. Dear. <laughs> Somewhere along the line, uh-huh. Julia Davidson's getting a bit woozy-woo over a mirror in a hallway. She suddenly recognises it and she's like, oh, memories. Oh, yes. All I'm alone in the moonlight. The psychic connection with the trauma of the theatre. Yes, so she goes to... The library. She meets the best dressed librarian I've seen Wonderful, since the PA in Ghostbusters. She's got mustard ribbed top with rose tinted ga- glasses, like I, and a Brit pop mullet. <laughs> Absolutely dreamy. Yeah. 
Yeah, because while we were at having breakfast and then strange run around the garden time, yeah. um, the, the old major was there as well. And we had a lot of exposition about the 40s yeah. again. He mentioned it's mentioned in the cafe as well, and you're thinking like this is going to turn out to be important, right? Yeah. And um, I guess so it would seem. Yeah, she recognizes something on the mirror or something. That's what I, I said. Think. Yeah. yeah, she's been she's been doing it a few times where she's walked past yeah. things and been like, doo, 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 doo. exactly. And it and it plays out like she's got like a psychic connection with the sort of trauma <laughs> of the building. Sorry to interrupt, but I ac- I meant to do the Twilight theme with that little bit of singing right. and I accidentally did uh, Stars by Simply Red. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Fine. We'll do. We'll do. Um. When I hear a noise, mm-hmm. one of the first things I do is get a bit more dressed. I can't understand these topless wanderings. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I need to be dressed when I'm going to beat someone. Yeah. I yeah, yeah. but you're, you know, you're a practical woman who's not about to get her head cut off by a, a maniac. Fingers crossed. Whereas, you know, these people... Lambs to the slaughter. Mm. Um, so, in the best tradition of crappy horror films as well, yep. we have a prime suspect that is uh, John, the or- the idiot that no one likes. Yeah. And um, Mike, the director, has a theory yep. that he was doing a joke and his brain like just snapped like yeah. an overwound toy. Yeah. Like a clockwork toy, it went boing! And he went mad yep. and cut off the head of Angela yep. and is now a danger to everyone else. And that's why he's like being a bit soft peddly because like he was one of us, you know, he was one of the company. No, well also because we're all trapped on a in a small space with him. Yeah, but if he's could... a killer, I don't want to be like, Oi killer Yeah, exactly. Yes, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. It was a bit earlier where they're talking about you know, putting still putting the show on because yeah, they're, they're still sort of trying. While all this is happening, they're still trying to put a, uh, still trying to do this show, yeah, uh, the, the flesh and blood show. Uh, yes, this is Tony. I don't know what Tony is basing his assumption that the show will be fun on. No, we haven't mentioned like the bits of show that we've seen, but I think immediately after they got there, they started rehearsing something where yep. they're all dressed as cavemen. Yes, that's right. And like sort of shugging about the place. Yeah, but um, somehow making it racist, even though. Racist yeah. against Cro-Magnon, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because uh, somewhere along here, I don't think I made a note about it, but we get, you know, when we see another little bit of, of the show, yeah. it is Carol pretending to... Is it Carol? No, oh, it's I not see. Carol. It's the it's the, the the real actress of the group. Julia? It's Julia. Oh, yeah. Pretending that she's, like, about to die for the revolution. Yeah. Uh, which is apparently it's part fine. of the same show... As, As the, the caveman business. Yeah, that's yeah. what happens when you improvise everything. Yeah. It's crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've put... It's no Candyman mural, but okay. Skeletons everywhere, and then I've written Zoom with like six O's and three M's. I think this is Carol going down into the basement. Ah, okay. They forgot to tell us Carol died. Yeah, well, she was very badly injured, and then in the next scene, she's dead. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this is because they find her, don't they, under the yeah, pier? Yeah, she's the, under the, the pier. The sailors. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit of, there is a bit of plot going on here, because while she's under the pier, well, she, you know, she's sort of locked in yeah. in the underneath, and then something happens to her, and then they find her sort of bleeding out on the yeah. thing. While she's doing that, kindly, Major Bell is upstairs perving on 
the niece of the woman who runs the guest yes. house and chatting affably to Mike and therefore demonstrably not underneath the theatre yeah. menacing Carol, right? This is, a, <laughs> this is, you know, there are, this is a plot thing yes. uh, uh, as well. And then Carol's body, or Carol being very injured at the base of the pier, is discovered by two men on a little boat who are like, do you know someone's dead? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit more urgency to it than that. But uh, yeah. Do you know someone's dead? Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, she was still breathing. They assure her, so we don't know if she's still breathing, we have to get to the hospital. And then it's like, cut. And then next scene... Yeah. She's she's dead. And yeah. no, there's no mention of the fact that like everyone's like, oh, she was she was killed. Yeah. Horribly, yes. More go- gorgeous clothes on Julia, by the way. Cerise and cream candy-striped shirt. Whoa. Really good. Very nice. Uh, the show they are making looks so gash, I've written. <laughs> it's dreadful, isn't it? Genuinely, I think it's the inspiration for the theatre bits in Showgirls. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Sarah uh, in the balcony. Why have I written? Oh, yeah, actually, genuinely, this is my favourite bit. Well, as you say, but before we get, I don't want to. I know, you know, okay. I know it's your favourite bit, but um, what 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 could you possibly be skipping over? Go well, on. John, John, it turns out to be dead. Does he? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I didn't care about John. No, but I mean, everyone was saying like, oh, John's oh, gone mad. John. It's definitely He's done John, it. right? This is. I mentioned this because it's a it's a it's a horror film thing, right? Yeah. This is, uh, you know, I don't imagine anybody who made Scream has seen this. But they've certainly seen like one. Of, they've certainly seen many of the dozens and dozens of films that are very like this. Yeah. The, the dozens and dozens of brethren films of which this stands for all yeah. of them, where you have a character who is very heavily implicated in things. So it's like, for instance, it's John who finds the letter. Yeah. From Angela saying, "I've gone, I've gone off home." You know, very conveniently finds it right there when people are saying, "Well, what happened to it?" Yeah. He's like, "Oh, look, here's a letter from." You know, he disappears at exactly the right moment. He is a menace and a pain. Yeah. When they're in the cafe earlier, he gets like a joke shop hand that makes one of them oh, absolutely yeah. scream. <laughs> so like, he's very heavily implicated and set up and as as the villain, and then like, oh, you know, plot twist. Yeah, he's we dead. Get, we get the scene. He's not only dead. We get the scene with the pathologist who's saying like he's been dead for some days. Oh yeah. And the copper says, "Oh, so we couldn't have offed young Carol then, you yeah. know, because they don't, because you know, your audience is not sophisticated. We don't trust them to work this out. And it's 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 a sufficiently like common trope. Yeah. To be lampshade didn't picked up in Scream, you know, some years later, right? Very very common yeah. way you have. This is very like horror movie by the numbers with all the, hitting yes. all of the beats that you think it might uh, including that one and yeah and then we're um, that was the only thing that we've skipped over oh and the fact that theatre group 40 the, uh, the group that have put it together put the show together don't exist oh They're yeah it goes to some um, confused sex workers house yes who's like no, no there I've is no company here theatre group 40 here mate phone what, call what I enjoyed about this and the reason I've sort of mentioned this is that um, they're like what we're going to do is like well we've got the show's nearly ready we're going to try and we're going to finish the show anyway take Set it up it to, to London and see if we can get a run ourselves and it's like what no. are you talking about have you hit your head yeah like look at this <laughs> Absolutely, honestly. Maybe the seventies was a different time or something. Maybe, maybe theatre was just like this in the seventies. Yeah, you never know. Um, but yes, but to that end, they're having a run through and yeah. Um, and then there's a bit of a noise or some sort of there's a light, like a spotlight goes on, 
Yeah, because the, 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 the queue doesn't turn up in time. Sarah especially yes. has put a gunshot sound in their weird mime gunfight. Yes, and but then Sarah's in the balcony in the audience and it's just her obviously i think she's naked isn't she she is yeah yes and it's really horrible it's really horrible that she doesn't move and they're all like what are you doing and she's being spotlit by somebody else yeah but she's the tech yeah so who's spotlighting her no you're right it's a reasonably effective it really works i think it works as well because we've had so much bloody darkness yeah so when you get in a stark light Yeah, yeah but she's also kind of expressionless yeah and it's very surreal and horrible yeah. And then she falls because she's, she's clearly dead. Forward, she's mm. dead, stabbed in the back. And it's a nice, a weirdly nice moment that one of the cast wants to go up to the box yeah. because to see if she's all right, even though she's clearly dead. Yeah. It's a, it struck me as a very nice human reaction. Yeah. To be, I must go and yeah, see. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. 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 Again, often, often ignored in things like this. Yeah, it? I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Mike is genuinely great again. He's a really good actor. Like yeah. he's really doing a good job. Yeah, um, yeah, with with not a lot. And and in this sort of finale here, in this because we're in this is the denouement really. We hold off from showing Major Bell's face, uh, you know, and, and sort of revealing who he is yeah. for quite a long time, even though it's clearly him. Yeah. Which um, I suppose they're just trying to wring the last little bits of tension out of. Um, yeah. Uh, out of it but also they, they haven't done successful pacing with the rest of the film why no, start yeah, now why start like, now exactly <laughs> um, we it's revealed that it's Bell and that he is in fact the person that they were speaking about whose wife and wife's lover were killed yeah although we didn't know that at the time no they just we did not they disappeared bizarrely He's doing a bit from Hamlet, maybe, or it's Othello. Othello, thank Which, you. Which you know, because Othello, it's a, it because is. it's the play about the the cuckolded Cuckolding. man, mm. exactly. Yeah. Where am I? And he gets his own flashback, which is quite fun. Yes, which um, was a, was originally in three D for no for discernible no reason. <laughs> and actually, my only question about this film was: Is it racist? And Ben actually said a categorical no. I didn't say a categorical no. You said, this one's not racist. It's not terribly racist. It is terribly racist. He well, is in blackface. He's in blackface. But it's the 1940s, so it's dramatically like removed from the from the time that it's set and made. And it's in black and white. <laughs> Are you joking? Oh, so you're saying he's actually a purple face. Yeah. He was actually being Othello as Violet Beauregard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, <laughs> Her corset's undone and he's raging. So his wife's having an affair yep. in the flashback. A small thing, that because we meet Major Bell and he's doing a speech from Othello in the present and then we get the flashback and he's doing it on stage, you know, in the 40s. Yeah. And the performance from the actor, Patrick Barr, I think his name was, is noticeably different between the two. Yeah. Which is nice. Nice it bit is, of yeah. work. Yeah, yeah. It's because he's... Um, because the sort of present day Major Bell is completely cracked, but the presumably Shakespearean stage actor Sir Arnold yeah. has not yet gone insane, so he's, he's a little less hammy in the flashback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in his rage, he starts quoting Othello at them. Mm hmm. Which is just the lamest soft boy <laughs> response to that, but I've seen weirder. 
who gave who in the prop department gave him a real knife? It does seem unwise. It's an oversight. It? Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. He's raging. Not gonna. Oh yeah. And then we have images of the little blonde girl crying and watching. Yes, and we I have just... quite a long flashback here into the into the forties where yeah. he discovers the affair. Well, it's the rest of the exposition, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> um, I said that's not going to mess with this kid at all, and then oh dear, it got worse. She's going to be an actress now because <laughs> I called it. foresaw yes. the end of the film. Well done. The lighting on the dragging. Oh yes, the lighting on the dragging is the first good lighting we've seen, and it's really amazing. <laughs> when he... when he drags her, yeah, through on the floor, it's really amazing. The the flashbacks really quite well done. Yeah, I, yeah. I wondered if it was because of the three D effect. It had to be. More well lit. Yeah, much. That's I mean, very I mean, there had to be more light on the scene, and it's also coincidentally more. It's better lit. It's well lit in both ways. If yes. that makes sense. But the, yeah, the the whole forties bit is reasonably well done. They make a decent stab of making it look like it was the forties. I mean, it's weird. That it's like you can tell it's the forties because they shot it on like flickery black and white yeah. film. But it's a convention. It's very Scooby Doo, but it works. It's fine. You don't have any problem figuring that no. out. Following it. Yeah. Wibbly wobbly memory transition. Yeah. <laughs> so his response is to bury them in the walls. Yeah. Uh, he just bricks them up alive and then has been talking to them since as if they are really there and has decided at the end of the film to take back his wife, who is now dead. Of course, but, been dead for years. Yeah. But so, you know, the. The contention here is that like he was driven mad because he was yes. playing Othello too hard and then his wife was having an affair with um, the fellow playing Cassio. Yeah. And uh, and it drove him mad, and he, so he had a psychotic break. And you know, But then in earlier on in the sort of guest house scene, he's, he's able to talk about the 40s and the theatre there quite well, you know, yep. without, like, frothing at the mouth or anything. He just claims he was in India, which is a lie. He's not too happy about theatre either. He thinks it's full of whores. Yes. Um, excrement is screamed from the rafters. Milking, then chewing, then milking again. He really does get like a triple <laughs> soliloquy, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's a proper... Exactly, soliloquy is the right word for it. And this is a thing that turns up in Pete Walker's films later. This is a theme in his cinema. And in uh, some horror from, from this time, which yeah. is that, like, is that the horror is the older generation. Like, the older generation are horrified by promiscuous youth uh-huh. and but but they're the baddies always like the promiscuous youth haven't done anything wrong oh okay if that makes sense i think it's frightmare is about an old woman who um lures prostitutes to her house to murder them because she's horrified by jesus their... hello there it's ben in the edit here just popping in to say that i was very tired when we recorded this we both were and i seem to have sort of mangled together the plots of frightmare and house of whipcord Although it doesn't quite properly describe the plots of either of them, I apologise. And there, there are a few things around about this time in the seventies where this sort of generation divide is made explicit in horror films. One of Michael Reeves' films he made, um, Witchfinder General, is about an old couple who discover that they can control the minds of. Some young folk. Wow! And, and the and the old woman is Boris. One of Boris Karloff's <laughs> uh, last roles is, oh, as wow. the old guy, and his wife has a thing for making the the young guy they control do do murders because oh. she hates the young people, right? So this, this <laughs> is a and and it's the thing that I thought about in Scream as well. In that, like yeah. a couple of times, 
the uh, Henry Winkler is the character who wrote best. Yeah. There's this way where you sort of set up. It's like, is it that is the is Ghostface is the killer an old guy who hates young people because he doesn't like their morals, but somehow it's driven him to sort of murder murder them. You know, I can think of a few sixties things where like a high court judge has seen too much filth and it's driven him round the bend. You know. Yeah. Guess what though? What? Julia Dawson's his long lost something. Yeah, well, it's, I was pleased that they did at least sort of um, address the plot hole that he couldn't have murdered Carol because he was upstairs. It's nice to see that they address that, but then they do sort of work out that it must have been his daughter who just. It seems because I wondered if like it was possible that she just fell. It was a. It was a very. Um, it was like a condemned floor. It's quite yep. rotten. Yep. She might have just fallen through the floor. Having seen, she might have seen the bodies, had a terrible shock, mm-hmm. jumped back and fallen through the floor. But the film does seem to really go out of its way to suggest that that she was murdered by Julia, yeah. who had to murder her to protect her dad, and that's who just, she's just realised was her dad. Yeah, and that's fine. Well, I ended it with, "It's been fun. I killed your pal. Bye. Bye. Yeah, exactly. I'm off now. Okay, bye." But it's all right because I did it to protect my dad, who. Yeah. Um, but like, so what? But then, when did she find out? Like, did she always know that he was her no. dad? Is that why she took the thing? Did she figure it out? No, I think me- she, more and more memories came back to and her. And then she remembered that there was a dead couple of dead bodies down mm-hmm. underneath the pier, mm-hmm. and she had to protect her mad father who killed them in front. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't quite. It doesn't quite work, does it? No. It doesn't doesn't quite add up. Nope. Um. And that, as they say, is that. That's the end of the film. Oh, yeah! One more thing. Mm -hmm. They establish all of this. They establish his guilt Mm -hmm. through another Shakespearean trick. Yeah. Which is the old, the play's the thing, right? To catch the conscience of the king. So they act out that fateful 40s night. They do. Because you were saying, whose idea is it? It's such a very... Seems a very short-sighted idea to have left that dagger lying about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's quite a nice uh, sequence when you cut from his yeah. crazed imaginings. I do think this last section is the best bit of the film. Absolutely, the rest of the film didn't need to exist. <laughs> you cut to the, from his like crazed imaginings to a pile of like theatrical dummies. Yes, because it's an you know his whole raving and ranting thing is an attack on theatre mm-hmm. is an attack on young actors, mm-hmm. an attack on the artifice of theatre and indirectly an attack on you, the audience for watching and enjoying this Yeah, yeah. but real... this from the man who spent a long time ogling his own do- daughter naked from a cupboard yeah but the audience also did that right, yeah, we're, I all, guess. we're all the voyeurs in the dark of the flea pit yeah. it's, a, it's a film that has a very low opinion of us the people watching it very cynical i yeah. think and yeah cine literate like it knows exactly what it's doing it's yeah. exploitation cinema yep but yeah i think there are just a couple of sparks just a couple of points where it's interesting and shows some some awareness of 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 that and yep. i think this is one of them the uh frantic stabbing of the theatrical dummies mm. yeah yeah <laughs> As I say, it stands in for dozens of similar films made both sides of the pond over a sort of 20-year period. Mm-hmm. There's, there's loads of them out there. Pick your poison, if <laughs> you like that sort of thing. 
and uh, I don't really have a great deal more to say about it, really. Mm. It um, It's fairly early for a slasher, Yep. this kind of thing. It was an idea that was picked up and run with much more successfully by American directors a bit later on. Mm-hmm. And um, and then, yeah, sort of uh, parodied again through the 80s. Parodied and played with through the 80s. Yep. And uh, it continues to this day. I mean, there's certainly still low-budget, crappy horror films that have very much the same kind of mission statement with um, a fair amount of nudity, a bit of blood, a twist, mm-hmm. 90 minutes, and done. Yeah. What are we doing next? What's next on the podcast? That's right. Well, tis the season to be thinking about the death of your father. It's uh, <laughs> Gremlins, everybody. Gremlins, let's do it. Let's get in that Christmas cheer. Joe Dante's 1984, I exactly. think. Um, get in the 80s. We're going to have some solid push-button tech. Like you wouldn't <laughs> believe. It is the worst costumes we'll ever cover on here. With some of the best <laughs> props as well. So Gremlins... Join us next time. Until then, uh, don't forget, if you enjoyed any of this, God help you, <laughs> contact us. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're at haunted underscore picture underscore palace. Yes. We are on the email. You can get us on the email. We are at... We're on hauntedpicturepalace at gmail.com and we're on the Twitters at hpppod. That's it from me. Amelia's fallen asleep at the microphone. <laughs> Say goodnight, Amelia. Don't have nightmares. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. There once was a man from Darjeeling who had a peculiar feeling. No, I got it wrong. Hang on. There once was a man from Darjeeling who got on a bus set for Ealing. Mm Mm-hmm. The sign on the floor. Fuck! One more time. (laughs) (laughs) The punchline is just oh. Oh. (laughs) It's very much in the oh no bracket. Actually, I was thinking a web comic name. Um, (laughs) There once was a man from Darjeeling who went on a bus set for Ealing. The sign on the door said "Don't spit on the floor," so he stood up and spat on the ceiling. Good, good work. Thanks. You got any limericks? No. Oh, weird, weird, I should be able to remember some limericks, shouldn't I? There once was a goldfish named Pinky who went for a swim in the sinky. When out came the plug, he whispered, Glug, glug, I'll be all at the sea in a winky. Wow. I know. I'm on BBC Radio Gloucestershire doing that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Give me a first line and I'll uh, come up with one, I'm sure. Um, uh, I, I, I once ate too many beans. I once ate too many beans. And I think you know what that means. I knew you were going to do that. Go on. (laughs) Um. But now I just fart with all of my heart. Is that where you were going? No, Um, um, so, um, give me the first line again. I've forgotten it. What was it? I once ate too many beans, mm-hmm. and I think you know what that means. It's something, oh, I had it and it's gone. Something like, uh, I once ate too many beans, and I think you know what that means. Uh, I had rather, 
I'd rather a bulge. But I've worse to, diver to divulge. You should see what happened to my jeans. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun, wasn't it? More fun than this. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs>